Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying Podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins here. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend, um, and I hope you all enjoyed the quote-unquote wild, wild card weekend. For the first time ever this weekend, we had 14 teams in the playoffs instead of the original 12 teams in the playoffs from combined from both conferences. And this past weekend's wild card games were very, very good. Obviously, the Rams and the Seahawks, the Washington football team against the against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. For the first time, Tom Brady played in the wild card round without actually winning the without actually winning a division. My Baltimore Ravens played against the Tennessee Titans in a in a playoff rematch. The Cleveland Browns played in played in the NFL playoffs for the playoffs for the first time since 2003. You know? And then you had the New Orleans Saints taking on the Chicago Bears. So, obviously, since I'm bringing that up, let's get started with what stood out to me in sports. Obviously, wild card weekend. Let's start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Washington football team. I got to be honest. I wasn't really surprised by what I saw in this game. I expected what I, I totally expected Washington's defense with Chase, Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, Ryan Kerrigan, Ronald Darby at the cornerback positions, or cornerback position, Kendall Fuller at the cornerback position. I expected Washington's defense to keep Washington in the football game for as long as they could. What I did not expect was Taylor Heineke to play the way that he played in this football game. Taylor Heineke, you would have thought Taylor Heineke played in this game, played in this played in this, played in the NFL for 5 to 6 years the way that he played. He was not afraid of that Tampa Bay defense, and I have to admit Taylor Heineke played played a very very good football game. In the beginning of this game, Tampa Bay's offense struggled somewhat. You had drop balls, Mike Evans dropped Dropped a, dropped a few passes. Chris Godwin dropped a few passes and things of that nature. But it happens. It's pro football. It's the playoffs. You're going to have anxiety. This Buccaneers squad hadn't been in the playoffs in 13, in, in 13, 14 years. So that's expected. But now that, but now that, now that Tampa Bay got that first win out of their system and they got that out of the way, now you're going to start to see Tampa Bay's offense ramp up more and more and more, and you're and you're going to see less drop balls in in more in games that have more of importance to them. Not to say that the wild card round doesn't, but as you get further and further into the playoffs, teams that have not been there before or teams that have not been there in God knows how long, you're going to have a bit of anxiety. It's going to happen. But Taylor Heineke played his ass off in this football game. Totally blew me away. He was not afraid of Todd Bowles and, and that and that Tampa defense and that Tampa pass rush and that amoeba and that amoeba uh, and that amoeba type defense that Todd Bowles runs at times. He was not afraid of it. And I'm actually I'm actually excited about Washington's future moving forward. They still have to figure out their quarterback position, but as far as as far as Taylor Heineke goes. If I'm Ron Rivera, I'm keeping him on that football team. 
He may not be the starter, but I'm keeping him on that football team moving forward. I'm not getting rid of that kid. That kid, that kid was so relaxed against that defense. It was not, it was, it was not even funny. And obviously, as we all know, Tampa Bay went on to win that game 31 to 23. And Washington has a very, very bright future. Next up, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Rams against the Seattle Seahawks. That Los Angeles Rams defense is just absolutely nasty. I mean, it is just sick. And the, honestly, the Los Angeles Rams, that defense reminds me of, I don't know if, I don't know if you will, and, and if anybody out there listening, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Anaconda with Jennifer Lopez, Ice Cube, and John Voigt. That Rams defense reminds me of an anaconda. Once they get a hold of you, once they get a grip on you, and once they get going and they squeeze on you, they suffocate the life out of you. And that's what that Rams defense did to that Seattle Seahawks offense. They suffocated the hell out of that offense. And obviously we all know in this game, Jared Goff was playing with a surgically repaired thumb. So John Wolford took over the starting job. John Wolford didn't even last didn't even last three three possessions in this game. And he left the game with a neck injury. So but moving forward, moving forward later on in the game, Aaron Donald gets hurt. He has rib car he has a rib cartilage injury. And he leaves the game and the Rams defense the Rams front four is so damn good that Morgan Fox and and Philip Joseph Day, if I'm saying his name correct correctly, came into the game, and that Rams defense continued to play as well as they played, like 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 they did not miss a beat. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey took DK Metcalf out of the game to the point where you could you could see DK Metcalf on the sideline getting. Purely pissed off and frustrated. And I don't blame him. Because if Jalen Ramsey was guarding me and he was wiping me out of the game, I'd get pissed off too. But Jared Goff came in in a reserved role and he played as well as he could with that bad thumb. And then Cooper Cup got hurt. So moving forward, going into the divisional round, how are Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald going to be able to hold up with their injuries if both, if both of them are able to play moving forward? But... The Rams played well enough, and Cam Akers ran the hell out of the football. 23 carries, 171 yards. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he had three or four catches out of the backfield. That Rams team is scary. And they and they went on to win that game 30-20. to 20. Next up, I want to talk about the, the, um, the Baltimore Ravens. My Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, as we all know, it's a re- the Ravens-Titans rematch was a rematch from last year's AFC Divisional Round game. Ravens went down 10-0. Lamar Jackson threw an ugly interception. I'm sitting there watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, please do not let this be a repeat of last year. But it wasn't. And the Ravens turned the corner. They flipped the switch, drove down the field. Kicked a field goal, stayed within seven points of the Tennessee Titans in this game. Ravens got the ball back, and once the Ravens got the ball back and Lamar Jackson broke that broke that forty-plus yard run for a touchdown, the ball the momentum switched in this game. It switched, and the Ravens did not give the momentum back to the point where, to the point where over the last three quarters of this game, Baltimore flat out just outscored.
Tennessee 20 to 3. 20 to 3 in this game and took Derrick Henry out of this game. 18 carries for 40 yards. And Derrick Henry on on eight on the 18 carries that he had, 11 of the 18 carries that he had in this game, he was hit behind the line of scrimmage. And Baltimore completely took him out of the game and they forced Ryan Tannehill to beat them and the Ravens were, were were rewarded because of that, and the Ravens went on to win this game, and 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 Lamar Jackson crushed and completely erased the narrative of him not not being able to win a playoff game, and the Ravens moved on to the divisional round and moved on to win that game, twenty to thirteen. Next up, I want to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Bottom line is, bottom line is, and I'm gonna just leave it at this. The Colts, the Colts just dominated every statistical category in this game. No turnovers, no sacks, had over 400 yards of total offense, rushed for 163 yards. Out, out, they out time of possessed Buffalo, but yet they still lost. I'm going to just leave it at this. The Colts played the perfect game. Frank Reich cost them that game. It's just that simple. Indianapolis had no business winning that game. Period. They had no business winning that game. Oh, the uh, the, they, the uh, I'm sorry. Indianapolis had no business losing that game. Buffalo had no business winning that game. Indy had no business losing it. And I'm gonna just leave it at that. But Buffalo moves on. Moved on. Moved on after winning that game. They moved on to win 27-24. And and then finally, the New Orleans Saints against the Chicago Bears. I did not. I really didn't expect much from this game. Honestly, I I, I really honestly didn't. Um, I expected the Bears' offense to struggle in this game. But what I did not expect is for New Orleans' offense to struggle as much as they did. But then looking back at it, I kind of had. I, I kind of should have seen it coming because that Bears' defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense. But they're wasting it. Because of how poor that, because of how poor that offense is, and the one moment that the Bears had in this game to actually make it a game was early was was late late first quarter, early second quarter, when the Saints were up seven nothing, and the Bears went for a flea flicker down the field. Mitchell Trubisky probably threw the most beautiful ball he will ever throw in, a, in, 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 in his time in Chicago. And he hit, he hit David Wims, wide receiver David Wims, right in the breadbasket, and he dropped it. Once he dropped that ball, that was game over right there for Chicago. And the Saints went on to take care of business. Although they, although they struggled offensively, the Bears went on to take care of business. And and oh, I'm sorry, the Saints went on to take care of business, and the Saints won that game, twenty-one to nine. And um, I'm not surprised, really, by by any of the outcomes in this game. I'm really not surprised. I'm not surprised by the by the Tampa Bay Washington outcome. I'm not surprised by the Rams Seahawks outcome. I'm not surprised by the Colts Colts Bills outcome. And I'm not surprised by what what my Baltimore Ravens did and I'm not surprised by what the Bears what the Bears and Saints did. The number one thing that did surprise me 
were the Cleveland Browns absolutely pulverizing the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm going to tell you why. But then again, it really didn't surprise me. I was surprised, but I really wasn't surprised. The first play of the game for the Steelers, snap goes over Big Ben's head for a touchdown. Defensively for Cleveland. After that, Pittsburgh just, they, they were just turnover machines offensively. And once Pittsburgh just constantly kept turning the football over, it was just like, it was like the floodgates had opened. It was like they couldn't, it was like Pittsburgh couldn't stop the bleeding. And for me personally, you cannot win a football game. It doesn't matter what type it is. You cannot win a football game with Big Ben throwing 68 damn near 70 times for 500 yards, four touchdowns, and four picks. You cannot win a game like that. You can't. Cleveland coming out, coming out the way that they did, that was that was a dream scenario for Cleveland. Once Cleveland went up 21-0 and then they went up 28-0, game was over after that. But bottom line is this, in the second half, I was hoping and praying that Pittsburgh did, I mean, that Cleveland did not blow this game. And they came very close to blowing it. When the score was 35-23, to I thought to myself, okay, Pittsburgh is going to go for it on fourth down, but they didn't. And once that didn't happen, and Cleveland continued to play with the momentum that they played with throughout this game, once, you know, it, it was almost like what happened to Pittsburgh was meant to happen to them. So I'm surprised, but I really was not surprised. And Cleveland went on to win this game. They went on to win this game 48-37, to and they're moving on to the divisional round. And, again, I'm really not surprised by any of these outcomes. I'm just more surprised with how the, how the game with Cleveland and Pittsburgh started more than I am how Pittsburgh's, seasons, how Pittsburgh's season ended. That's all I'm going to say. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you why the Alabama Crimson Tide and Nick Saban continue to be dominant even after Nick Saban's sixth national championship. And I'm going to tell you why the Buffalo Bills look very, very beatable against my Baltimore Ravens this coming Saturday night. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to start off by saying congratulations to Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide on winning their sixth national championship in 11 years. And I quickly want to mention something about Alabama and Nick Saban. Nick Saban and Alabama went from over the last three to over Nick Saban's first three to four years, excuse me, of being this 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 power running football team with guys like Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson and T.J. Yeldon and and Eddie Lacy too. Now you have to outscore them to beat them. And bottom line, the their versatility has truly shown over the last three to four years. And obviously, this whole this whole wide receiver tree with guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and and Jalen Waddle and they and, and going into next year, David Mechie started 
with Julio Jones, with guys like Julio Jones and Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley. And that's how versatile the Alabama Crimson Tide are. They went from pounding the rock down your throat, going play action down the field, to now we're going to spread you out. We're still going to run the football with the best running back in college football in Najee Harris. But we're going to have Najee Harris run out to the flat, go out, and we're going to have him, excuse me, we're going to have him catch balls out of the backfield, and we're going to have him run over you, or or he's going to he's either going to run you over or he's going to hurdle you. And that's the versatility of Alabama. That's the that's the that's the versatile mind of Nick Saban. Power running, play action in his first 3 to 4 5 years, 6 years to over the last 3 to 4 5 years with Irv Smith or Irv Smith, OJ Howard, Calvin Ridley, Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, now David Mechie. We're going to spread you out and we're going to drop 40 to 45 on you. And that's why Nick Saban and Alabama are as good as they are and will continue to be as great as they are moving forward. So congratulations to the, uh, congratulations to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Devontae Smith, you earned that Heisman Trophy, man. You earned it. 12 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Sick. I mean, just absolutely sick. If Devontae Smith does not leave that game with a hand injury, I guarantee you he probably has around 16 catches for over 300 yards and five touchdowns. That hand injury saved Ohio State's defense from getting embarrassed even more than what they already were. But again, to see the transformation with Alabama from three to four years ago to being a power-running play-action football team to now spreading you out and still being balanced enough to run the football but being still able to drop 40 to 45 on you is just absolutely scary. It's scary. It's scary. It is absolutely scary. Congratulations, Batman. You guys earned it. But next up, I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills this past Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, as we all know, knocked off the Indianapolis Colts 27-24 to get their first playoff win in 25 years. But Buffalo looked very beatable in this game, and let me explain to you guys why they looked very beatable. In, let me, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. In, in, a, in about... Nine of these categories, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and nine, in nine, in nine of the, in, in these, in these nine offensive categories, excuse me, Indianapolis outplayed Buffalo in eight of these nine categories. Time of possession, Indianapolis, 34 minutes, 17 seconds to Buffalo's 25 minutes and 43 seconds offensively. Total yards offensively. Indianapolis outgained Buffalo 472 to 397. Passing yards. Indianapolis outgained Buffalo 309 to 301. Rushing yards. Indianapolis pounded, pounded the ball down Buffalo's throat for 163 yards to Buffalo's 96. 
First downs, Indianapolis 27, Buffalo 22. Buffalo could not could not get to Phillip Rivers. Did not sack him one one time. And total plays, okay? Total plays in this game. Indianapolis ran 76 plays to Buffalo's 58. They ran 18 more plays than Buffalo did. Bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen. What I am saying is for Indiana, how do how do you lose a game when in not in eight in nine in nine offensive categories you outperform your opponent in eight of those categories and still lose? How is that possible? Well, for one, when your head coach is up by three and he decides to get greedy and go and go for a touchdown and try to go for a knockout shot early instead of kicking the field goal and taking three points, when your kicker comes out in the second half in the first possession of the second half and misses a field goal and when you fail and when you fail on a two point conversion, when those three issues take place and you've pretty much outplayed your opponent for the entire game, and when you're when those three things happen, you lose a football game. Indianapolis offensively out played Buffalo. Their team outplayed Buffalo. And Buffalo still won. Why? Because their head coach got greedy. Indianapolis had no business losing this game. They outplayed Buffalo. So, bottom line is this. Buffalo had the ball rammed down their throat in the running game for 163 yards. They couldn't sack Phillip Rivers. They couldn't couldn't force any turnovers. They had the ball. They 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 had the clock chewed up chewed up on them, defensively, as far as time of possession goes for Indianapolis. And another thing, they could not cover the tight end to save their life. They could not they could not cover Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox to save their life. And so, bottom line is this: Baltimore is coming into their building this coming Saturday. They look very very beatable. They looked very beatable, but again, a win is a win at the end of the day. But what I'm saying as a football fan, Buffalo is in trouble, and they looked very beatable in this game, and they look very beatable moving forward. That's all I'm going to say about that. Next up, the Los Angeles Rams. Why I believe the Los Angeles Rams have a shot to beat the Green Bay Packers. Simply put, that Rams defense is, is just ridiculous. That Rams defense is sick. That Rams defense is nasty. And if the if this Rams defense can keep their offense in the game and their offense can complement their defense and not turn the ball over, the Rams have a legitimate shot to win this game. They they really, really do. But this Rams uh, this Rams uh, this Rams defense is gonna have to show up. And I believe they will. But the Rams have a legitimate shot to win this game. If their if their defense plays very, very well and their offense complements their defense and they don't turn the ball over. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, are my NFL playoff divisional round predictions. First up, the number six seed Cleveland Browns against the number one seed Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City has not played in a month and a half. They've not played in a month. The Cleveland Browns are a 10-point underdog in this game. That line recently went down to about nine and a half. I don't know if it's gone down now. It probably hasn't, but still. Cleveland 
they're getting their full complement of uh, of uh, of coaches back. They're getting Kevin Stefanski back. They're getting their starting corners back with Kevin Johnson and also Denzel Ward. Cleveland, here's the thing about Cleveland that it comes down to for me. For Cleveland, they have to be able to run the football, which they can. They have to be able to possess the football, which they can. They have to be able to protect the football, which they can. And they have to be able to score in the red zone, which they can. All four of those things factor into um, factor into who I'm picking to win this game. Defensively, Cleveland has to be able to get to the quarterback, which I believe they can, with Miles Garrett, Larry Ogunjobi, and Larry Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson. But they also have to be able to take the ball over, which I believe they can. Which brings me to this point. Kansas City struggles to stop teams once they get inside the red zone defensively. They have the they have the 32nd ranked red zone defense in the league. Kansas City has not played in almost a month. And the last time Patrick Mahomes played, he did not play well. Which brings me to this. I'm going out on a limb here, y'all. And I'm picking the Cleveland Browns to knock off the Kansas City Chiefs 32-29 to in overtime. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the NFC. The Rams will take on the Green Bay Packers. I'm picking the Rams to win this game 24-21. to Why am I picking the Rams to win this game? Because I believe defensively, this will be a struggle for both teams' offenses. This game will simply come down to can the Rams slow can the Rams slow down Green Bay's rushing attack? The Rams rank in the top ten in run defense. The Packers rank in the top ten in run offense. I believe the Rams. I, I, me personally, I believe this Rams defense will keep their offense in the game to the point where their offense will be able to complement their defense enough uh, with point with enough points so that their offense will eventually be able to. Uh, so that their defense, excuse me, will be able to put the game away. Again, they're, again, they're, I believe their defense will be able to keep their offense in the game enough to where their offense will be able to complement their defense enough to where later on in the game their defense will be able to put the game away. With that being said, I believe the Rams win this game 24-21. to 21. And lastly, the number five seed Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the number two seeded New Orleans Saints. As we all know, the New Orleans Saints absolutely dominated the Bucks in their last two matchups. I don't believe the result is going to change. I believe the Saints win this game 33-17. to And to me, it just feels like this Saints defense... The, me personally, to me, it just feels like this Saints defense smells blood in the water, and I I just feel like with the Bucks struggling on offense as much as they did against that Washington football front on defense, I believe they're going to struggle just as much, maybe even a little bit more, against that Saints defense, and they and the and. For Tampa, they still struggle to run the football. So I just believe that that Saints defense is going to give that that Buccaneers offense issues. Again, Saints win 33-17. to um, But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, 
You know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Obviously, you know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. As as you all know, earlier on in the show, I talked about the NFL divisional round coming up coming up this weekend with all the different matchups and things of that nature, which brings me to the year 2012. Why do I bring up the year 2012? I bring up the year 2012 because that was the year that the Denver Broncos went out, got Peyton Manning in free agency, were the number one seed in the in the AFC, but lost in the divisional round to my then Baltimore Ravens with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. But I give you this scenario. What if the Denver Broncos had had went on to defeat the Baltimore Ravens in that 2012 AFC divisional round playoff game? What if they had went on to win that game? And people forget. People forget, yes, they had Ronnie Hillman in the backfield. Yes, they had no Sean Moreno. But people also forget Willis McGahee that same season had torn his ACL. So he did not play in that game. But what if Peyton Manning and the Broncos had actually held on to win that game? They would have went on the following week to play Peyton to play Tom Brady and the Patriots in the in the AFC Championship game. How would that Broncos team with Elvis Dumerville and Vaughn Miller and then Bronco Derek Wolf and Wesley Woodyard and Chris Harris Jr. and then obviously on the on the offensive side of the football, Joel Dreesen, Jacob Tammy at the tight end position, Demarius Thomas and Eric Decker at the receiver positions and Brandon Stokely. How would that team have matched up against Tom Brady and that Patriots offense and that and that Patriots defense in the AFC Championship game? As we all know, as we all know, a few years later, the Patriots and the Broncos met in the 2015 AFC Championship game, and the Broncos won. But what if they had met earlier? Do the Broncos win that game? Do they go on to the Super Bowl? And if they win that Super Bowl against Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers, does Peyton Manning actually retire two or three years or two or three years earlier than what he actually would have retired? Because he retired in 2015. If the Broncos win that Super Bowl, against the 49ers in Super Bowl 47, does Peyton Manning retire two or three years earlier? We'll never, ever know. We'll never, ever know, ladies and gentlemen. That's why this is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I am your host, Jared Dawkins. I really, really hope and pray that all of you stay safe. Continue to wear your mask. I cannot wait for these for these games, divisional weekend, for these NFL playoff games. I know you can't. I'm so excited. I'm so hyped. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I'm out. Peace.